Well, hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Little, and uh, it's good to be here. I'm feeling much better than last time, but again, kind of would have to be. Uh, well, hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. I'm God, I, I thought I told that and, idiot to shut uh, up. It's good to be here. Um, in any event, I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, yeah, I came off a pretty uncheerful week, but I had a couple things happen that really uh, perked me up and put me back on my perch. I got a call from my oldest and dearest friends who basically said, hey, uh, you all right? I said, really, I'm fine, no problem. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just good to, it's just good to commiserate with people who've known you most of your life. And, uh, so that was enormously helpful and you, and you know who you are, crazy helpful. And then the other thing, uh, was, um, I had a conversation with a guy who, um, manages the kind of things that, that I'm trying to get working on these gigantic, enormous, complicated animated projects. And, uh, he, um, he gave me a basic breakdown of how you break things down so that eventually uh, there will be, and I say eventually, I mean in the near future, just a list of things to do. And if I'm sitting there and I don't know what to do, uh, then I'll just go, all right, what's the next thing on the list? So that was a big relief. I got to tell you, I'm looking back on it and, um, and you know, that, 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 Thursday night Biden speech thing, that just hit me really hard. Uh, it didn't um, didn't fill me with despair. It filled me with dismay. I just, it just made me kind of, kind of ill, you know? Uh, I, I just actually couldn't believe it. Um, so people ask me when you approach the second channel and stuff, I've got uh, a lot of stuff to do. Uh, and I've had a lot of stuff that's been keeping me from doing it. And that's pretty much all I can say about it right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that uh, time is fleeting. Um, it's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. I love that song. I love that show. I don't care how, how awful and weird it was. When I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show in 79 when I first got to college, this was like, Wow, look at this. It's a whole nother freaky fantasy science fiction world. How cool. Now it's like outdoors. That's what that's what Rocky Horror Picture Show is. It's like, oh, it's outdoors. Yeah, it's just, I, now I want to go to a movie that gets me away from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, but I do, I do love that. I love that show and I love that song. This, this thing, this thing with Biden put a spear through my soul, you know? Um, and not not just because of what he said so much as the fact that he the fact that he could get away with saying that and i think the worst of it is for those of you out there who have ever been uh slandered in public or libeled for that matter uh you'll know this everybody at some point in their lives had people tell lies about them and stuff but but to have it done publicly is a is a different animal completely. It really, really is. It's a it's a bad, bad, bad feeling. Which is why it's one of the commandments, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. So, um, so to be slandered like that, and to be slandered in in that area, you know, 
that uh, Trump Republicans are the ones, we're the ones who uh, don't respect the rule of law. We're the ones that don't respect uh, election integrity. We're the ones who live in darkness and fear. We're the ones who, um, who you know, want to keep people down and on and on and on and on and on. And it's like, can somebody just cut the feed to this guy? Actually, I don't want anybody to cut the feed. To, I don't ever want anybody to cut the feed to anybody. Somebody cut the feed from Joe Biden to higher power, though, quite a long time ago. People saying the connection's a little choppy. I'm, I'm seeing that myself here. I get a very little bottom corner of the uh, OBS display. I get a, a box, and right now the box is green, but sometimes the box goes orange, and then it goes, well, first it goes yellow, then it goes orange. Sometimes it goes red. Oh, orange, orange, yellow, green, like that. And it just did it. Um, so uh, I don't know what that is. We're not putting a big strain on this thing. By the way, I mentioned in the Facebook uh, post that I would be trying to stream this to uh, YouTube as well. I'm not going to do that because the only way to do that is to run two different versions of the uh, broadcast software and really mungs it up. However, I am coming in tomorrow all day. I've got the whole day cleared and I'll be working on all of these housekeeping things that have gotten trodden over uh, lately. So, but back to this Biden thing. Um, you know, it, it, it it didn't scare me. Where he's headed scares the living crap out of me. I know what preparing the battle space looks like. I know how you demonize and dehumanize your opponents preparatory for some really bad mojo. Uh, but I don't, I'm not worried about, uh, about Biden. Um, I'm, I'm worried about the people that are getting him to say what he's saying, what they have in mind. And, you know, every time I get myself lathered up about this, like, oh, my God, you know, this is exactly how they did it with the with the Jews in Germany. It's how they did it with the kulaks and the and the and the richer. Uh, well, kulaks are richer peasants. When I say richer pe peasants, they have a cow, maybe uh, all of this targeting, demonizing uh, of, of groups prior to having the state move against them. And so watching this, I said, I know what this is. I know what this looks like. I know exactly what's going on. And it's enough to make you want to just rip your your hair out. But first of all, I wouldn't do that. That'd be a travesty. But, 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 and my wife doesn't quite understand this still, but that's okay. But um, when all is said and done, we got the guns. And that is what allows me to sleep at night. And that's why we have the guns. This is why. Next time anybody ever asks you, well, what do you need an AR assault for, uh, AR-15 for? Just tell them the truth, right? I'm not worried a deer is going to come charging through my window at 2 in the morning. And if somebody does, then certainly a, a handgun would be a more effective or a shotgun use than that. The reason I have a, if you're arguing with a progressive, the reason I have an AR-15 is to protect myself from you. Right to protect myself from you. Now I did a, a, a two shows last week, and you would think I would have posted them. And, I'll, and, and like I said, I got a lot of uh, housekeeping things to do tomorrow here, uh, and I'll post both of those. But one I did on guns. Uh, did I had a great talk with a guy who owns a gun shop and has a little a little uh, blog, and and he pointed out something that has been obvious to me as well, and that is that that the people who consider guns the gun to be the problem are people who are 
impulse-driven themselves. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that back when I was really in the thick of things with the gun argument. One of the arguments was, you know, I don't, how could you have a gun in the house? What do you mean? How could you not? Uh, don't, don't you care about protecting your family? They would say, yeah, but what if you got into an argument with your wife? What if you got, what if you got really, really mad at your wife or your kids? You could just go in and shoot them. And I remember every time I heard that, I thought, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. But that's really what it is. It's projection. They think everybody is as erratic, as emotionally erratic as they are, and as emotionally untrustworthy as they are, and so they want that playing field leveled. But honest to God, I don't see what they're going to do about that. Now, I told you my wife and I have a disagreement about this, and she, she's a, not only a, a strong Second Amendment supporter and an American citizen, but she's also a great, a great shot. But coming from Russia and the Soviet Union, she doesn't think that a nation of people with firearms can stand up to the government. Uh, I'm inclined to, to find one thing to agree with Joe Biden on, on this. I think, frankly, there should be the, I think, I think the Second Amendment clearly covers my right to personally own an F-15 that didn't say anything about bearing muskets or even rifles. And as long as I bear the helmet or the keys, I'll take the F-15. Although, as I pointed out before, uh, actually what Biden meant to say was A-10s, because if you're going to strafe civilians, you're much better off with the A-10. But what she, she is constantly making the argument that if, and this is just coming from her, her, her entire life prior to coming here six years ago. That if the government wants to knock your doors down, then your rifles aren't going to do anything. And my reply to that is true. And if, and if the police showed up on my door, my door tomorrow and said, you're under arrest and we're taking all these guns, I wouldn't open fire on the police. It would be a death sentence. But the thing of it is, is that in order for them to, in order for them to genuinely assume lethal control over people, they would have to move against a large part of the population. And if that happens, there will be a, this, this will be the, you know, this will be the Minuteman reaction. And if they go after us one at a time, then they will eventually confiscate all of our guns. It'll just take them 2.4 billion years to get around to it. So, um, oh, there's a SpaceX launch going on right now. Um, so yeah, and, and Bart's treasure is what problem, Bill? What point do you open fire on the government? This is the this is the argument. This is the argument that is critical argument, and I think. See, this is this is why it's a very difficult issue, but at the same time, it has inherent in it a sort of a perspective on on safety. Okay. So the short answer to the question is you open fire on police who are coming to your door when, when you hear that police are coming to everybody's door and taking Republicans away. That's when you open fire because then you know that's what they're making the move on. But they can't do it all at once. And the reason they can't do it all at once is because we have the weapons. So my feeling about the guns is the same, my, is the same as my feeling about nuclear weapons, which I also personally think I have a, a right to... Uh, to, to I, open carry, you know, a nuclear weapon. Because um, that'll make them think twice, wouldn't it? Uh, 
especially if they come to your business and with the IR, 87,000 armed IRS agents, you have a little, you know, radioactive hex on the door saying, you know, warning this business protected by tactical nuclear warhead. Um, all right, I'll give them something to think about. Um, but, but when I say it's it's when I say it's the same as the as the nuclear weapons, it's the presence of the guns that means that we don't have to use the guns, at least not for the foreseeable future. I've said this so many times, so many times, because of the Second Amendment. It's not because these people are kinder or nicer than any of these other tyrants. They're made from exactly the same cloth. But because of the Second Amendment, this is the first time that the state is outgunned by the population, you see. And that's problematic for them. So because of that, they're not going to come that way. They're going to come in through the back. Like I said, a launch was aborted. Those SpaceX losers can't get anything off the ground. Bad weather. It's not SpaceX's problem. Um, so, so back to this argument, right? Um, they cannot come at us with force. And the example I've used many times is the example of Singapore. It was a British installation during World War II. It was, a, it was the British base in the, in the Far East. And they built this entire fortress with these huge guns waiting for the Japanese Navy to come sailing in there. And then they're going to they're gonna sink the Japanese Navy and Fortress Singapore will stand and it'll be the bastion of British and allied power in, in the Far East. And that was, that was the plan. And, and so they sat there with the big guns aiming out to sea waiting for the Japanese Navy to come. But uh, the Japanese Navy didn't come. The Japanese Army came and they came on bicycles through the jungle from behind. Those, those jungles were considered impenetrable, and they were, except to dedicated guys with bicycles. And so Singapore not only did not fall to naval gunfire, Singapore never fired its guns. Parenthetically, they couldn't swing the guns back around onto the jungle either. They, at least that way they get a couple shots off. But nope, nope, took it from behind. And that's exactly what's going on with us right now. They will not come at us from the direction that we are prepared for because they're they're evil but they're not complete idiots so they're not going to that day where they're going to come kicking down doors and say no no i just don't see it happening I, and and we all know why so the uh, i don't think we're ever going to have to deal with the issue of at what point does it become a minute man issue because because they understand that there's no way for them to get all of us without that happening so Again, what do they do? They don't have to come and take your guns. What they have to do is they have to put enough stuff in your kids' ears, or at least in their kids' ears, your grandkids, so that your children or your grandchildren will take your guns once you've passed away or once you're old and infirm in your, in your dotage. Then they'll take the guns down to the police station, turn them in for the, for the social credit score. That's how they'll get around the problem. And of this I am certain. I'm certain of this. So uh, this is why we have to fight them on the idea battlefield, and we're not very good at that. Uh, let's see. Oh, just I know this is a Stratosphere Studios issue, but just parenthetically, because it just was just on my mind just a few minutes ago. Yeah, Australia was a test, says Edward Smith. You're damn right it was a test. You, Those of you who, who've been uh, keeping score or may have picked up a program on the way in, uh, know that um, I want to say the late 90s, I want to say it was 98, I'm not 100% of the date, 
the Australian government said, you know what, guns are dangerous. There was a mass, one mass shooting in Australia, as I recall. And so they decided we're going to make guns illegal, turn them all in. And most Australians, being law-abiding citizens, did. And they were, when you when Americans and other people would say this, and the Brits did this before the Australians, when, when, when other people of the Anglosphere with the same legal system said this is a gigantic mistake, they said, no, the government's not, the government, the, we elect the government, the government's never going to come after us. And then uh, during COVID, they they locked Australia down about as about as effectively as they locked as China locked down the Chinese, because the Australians had about the same amount of ability to resist. And this again is the point. Can't be clear enough about this. They didn't have to open fire. We don't have to open fire. I don't want to open fire. The fact that we have fire to open is what means that that avenue is closed to them. So they'll. They'll do what they do. Uh, one of the strategies, we started this talking about uh, Biden's Thursday speech. What I saw, what I heard when I listened to that speech, when I got my blood pressure back under control, was classic example of, of preparing the battle space, right? Getting the message out to a large number of Americans that, that conservatives not not all not all Republicans. Some Republicans are, are just fine. Guys like Mitt Romney and and you know and 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 uh, Cheney Cheney. Those Republicans are um, they're a okay. But when but what he was saying was was dehumanizing people. They live in the darkness. I'll, I'll tell you what I thought about doing honestly. Uh, as Hitler was rising to power, and I want to say this happened after he became chancellor and before he, before World War One, actually World War Two started a shooting war. There was one of the most infamous, appalling, horrible, awful pieces of propaganda ever made, called uh, the Jew. I think it was Das Juden or whatever it was in German. And they showed pictures of the ugliest Jews they could find clustered together, and then they intercut shots of rats. Right? Rats. Rats running and then, then the Jews, then rats running and garbage and all this other stuff. Not easy to miss that point that the Nazis were not known for their subtlety. Uh, so I actually thought that night, I thought, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go out, find that rats video on YouTube, and then cut Joe Biden's words into that and make it clear what it is he's trying to do. Because that was one of the most repulsive pieces of propaganda ever. The Eternal Jew. Thank you, Infidel42. That's right. It's called The Eternal Jew. And I thought, well, okay, great. So what I'll do is I'll just get Biden's speech. And whenever he talks about uh, MAGA Republicans, I'll cut to the rats. And then we'll see. So Political Animals, uh, I'm just skimming, skimming here says that uh, shooting in Canada in 2020, the shooter was a highly paid RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police informant. The, uh, they knew about it and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. So you get the idea. Um, but if that speech didn't, if that's, like I said, Joe Biden doesn't scare me. And these idiots don't particularly scare me either. Where they're taking us scares me real bad. So again, it's like we have to, they have, they have launched a, a, a mimetic war. They're not good at memes, but mimetic, I mean, a war of ideas. They have launched 
a, a war of idea and propaganda against Republicans. And they got the first salvos off. And if we don't respond, then they'll get more salvos off and they'll keep getting salvos off until we start shooting back at these guys in the same fashion that they started shooting. Now, one thing about working with Alfonso Rachel is that guy has a sixth sense about connecting Democratic Party policies, politics, and history to the worst events that are going on every day. I, I, I never cease to be amazed at how quickly and accurately he can well, this is what the Democrats all do, what they always done. And people like us don't like this idea, you know? I don't like to think of I don't like to think of half the country as as, you know, mortal enemies. But it's heading in that direction. Uh, and I've never heard I've never heard any conservative any ever say anything other than I just like these people to hear something different so that maybe they could make up their own mind. That was about as far as I've heard uh, conservatives go, but the left is constantly calling for us to be arrested or shot. Uh, so who's sleeping on the ammo, you miserable, progressive, D-bag, loser, beta male, soy-drinking weaklings? Yeah, so there. So anyway, I guess we've probably been through that. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, a broke college student has a, a, a question here. I'll, I'll just open it up a little bit to the, I'll open it up to the rest of the room. Uh, he says, uh, Bill, to your credit, I think your physical revulsion at the, to the abortion porn video, Zoe and I did a, uh, a virtue signal called abortion porn last week. Uh, your physical revulsion towards the abortion porn video is a sign of your good upbringing. I'm curious to what my peers would have responded. He says, I'm 20. For those of you who missed it, um, uh, I hope you do miss it because frankly, that was on my mind too this last week when, whenever, you know, uh, I was feeling pretty assaulted. Zoe found a video of these two chicks who were talking about, not only talking about how much they were looking forward to their abortions, or any abortions, but they wanted to stream it. And they wanted to stream it in all of its gory detail. And they wanted to stream it in all of its gory detail because they felt that it, they felt sexually turned on by the idea. And they thought there's probably other people out there who would, um, who would feel that too. And you know what the worst of this whole thing is? Is they're right. They're right. That kind of, of wallowing in depravity should be restrained by by shame and and embarrassment uh, because every time I think about wanting to shut people up or wanting to turn off things that I know to be evil it's not like they, I think they're evil I know they're evil every time I want to just kind of clamp down on that I just have to remind myself it's the clamping down part that's the actual problem Bill so you know find a better way. And the better way is, is to shame them, just to shame them, you know. But how do you shame these people? That's actually quite a good question if you think about it. I mean, really, can, I'm not joking now. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm serious as I can be. In the comment section live here, we have a, a, a sum total of 76. That number keeps going up. YouTube will find out about it soon enough. They'll take care. Oh, it's because we're not on YouTube. 
So we've got 76 people watching this right now. And, and, and so my actual genuine question to the, to the hive mind is, can you think of anything, anything that would shame these people? And I don't mean, I don't mean like turning it back on them, like by calling them conservatives or anything. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about shaming them by, by making them wear a MAGA hat. I'm talking about, is there anything that these people believe in that's part of their political agenda that they're not ashamed of? Um, because I'm ashamed of most of the stuff they believe in. I have not seen any sign of it at all. And then there was the uh, president of the United States, uh, saying, um, you know, that we were the problem. By the way, I have heard, I have heard, um, and I don't w know whether this was for a certain state but or nationwide, I kind of think it's nationwide, but I have heard that something like in excess of 90% of all of the voting records that are legally required to be maintained have been deleted from the 2020 election. Now, if I'm wrong, and I'm perfectly willing, not only willing, I'd be eager to be proven wrong about this. I'd love to think we just lost. If I'm wrong, and they're right, then what? That's a, that's a data point. That's a fact. Why would they do that? You would think that if, that if this thing was as solid as they said, they would have said this uh, on the night of the Biden speech. You would think that if everything is buttoned down and, and authentic, they would not only not delete it, they would publicize it. Okay, you lunatics think the election was stolen. Here are the raw numbers. You can go and check them against the receipts. If you did that, that would be a sign that you were innocent. If you cover things up, it's a sign that you're not. And I've said this several times on the show before, but it bears mentioning. Um, Trey Gowdy, for a while, there was the only one of three patriots in the whole government. There never seems to be much more than four or five anymore since Reagan. But Trey Gowdy was talking about Hillary Clinton's efforts to, uh, to erase her drive or wipe it clean with a cloth. And Gowdy said something that just went right through me and, and, well, into me and stayed right there. He said, look, I'm speaking as a prosecutor now, as a lifetime prosecutor. He says, I would rather have evidence of a cover-up than a confession. That's, I, I'd much rather have that said, if you confess to something, you can argue later that you didn't know it was wrong, or you could argue that, that, you know, that there were extenuating circumstances or wh whatever. But if I can prove that you are, are willfully covering your tracks on, an, on, on some illegal uh, violation, then I not only can prove that you're guilty, I can also prove that you know you're guilty. And parenthetically, that's a second charge. Um, so... Uh, You know, I, I don't know what to say. The, um, the topic for the virtue signals that we shot today, uh, my topic, was what happens when you lose uh, faith in, what happens when the law-abiding part of the country loses faith in law enforcement. And I'm not talking about local law enforcement. Uh, I mean, you know, the FBI. Don't want to completely repeat the episode, but, you know, there's that famous story, which I, I believe is true. Yeah, Gowdy should have been the FBI chief. After, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if Trump is reelected, you should make Gowdy attorney general uh, and put him in charge of the Justice Department, fire everybody, and get rid of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and call it the Bureau of Investigating Federal Things. <sighs> I 
So what happens when law-abiding people lose faith in at least the federal level law enforcement? Because there's no question that they're corrupt. I, I, I decided I wanted to talk about that when I, when I was making myself some breakfast before I came in today to do that. And I realized I'm going to call this episode Stinking Badges because I was making my little breakfast shake at home and I remember thinking, Badges? We don't need no stinking badges. It's a great line from, it's a good, the bad, the ugly, I think. And I thought, stinking badges, yeah, that's pretty much where we are now. So, uh, Tim Pool, Project Veritas, and Epoch Times are the only real news outlets we have left, says JWT Kuda. And I mentioned uh, Project Veritas on the show. Uh, he's the only, uh, James O'Keefe is the only genuine. Well, that's not true. There's, like I said, three or four, Heather McDonald, a couple others. Uh, but you can tell that James O'Keefe is not corrupt because he doesn't just go after liberals or Democrats. He goes after corruption of any kind. When you see that, uh, you got a pretty good idea. you got somebody fair-minded. So we were talking about this and how do you stop the corruption in, in the FBI? And the answer is with the press. If we had a free press, we wouldn't have a corrupt FBI. We, Hillary Clinton wouldn't have gotten away with the emails things. There'd been an investigation into Jeffrey Epstein. It would have continued until we find out who actually did that. Barack Obama never would have been elected president if we'd had a, a free and fair press. Because if they'd look into his background to 2% of the degree they looked into Sarah Palin's background, then there's no way he would have been elected ever. Um, so, you know, there you go. You, you need some form of government one of the pithier things I ever said was, I'm not against the government. I just want it to fit back into the box that it came in. Um, and so here we are with this giant state. But you know what? We, don't, we, we have a giant state, and we've got all of this repression. We've got all, we all know where this is heading. We all know about the cycles of civilization, all of this stuff. JWTD Kuda says that the FBI has been corrupt from the beginning. I wouldn't have believed that a year ago, but I, I, the more I look into it, the more I realize, yeah, I had blinders on about that. So all of this comes down to the fact that the, that the, the worst part, the absolute worst part of living in a, uh, a democratic republic that's governed by the people is that we have no one to blame but ourselves. That's, that's what's so miserable about our system of government. And if you think politicians are going to save this, you're wrong. It's going to have to be done individually, and Project Veritas is the living golden example of this. It is the passion of one guy and the vision of one guy combined with the, with the, 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 the fundamental honesty and truth and courage of, an, of a, a, a group of people with that same vision who are doing the work, and, and it is also the result of, of conservatives with vision who are funding him. That's why Veritas is as successful as they are. And I remember a day when every news agency was essentially what Veritas is, you know? Ab scam, anybody remember that? Arab scam, anybody remember? Anybody remember the, the, the um, undercover video of um, Marion Barry smoking crack that was, you know, done by, I don't know if that was an FBI thing, but you know, it's what the, the press is supposed to do. Um, there's uh, something Marusha mentioned here that uh, I really also want to talk about. Is it changing subject? Uh, although it's political subject, because we've taken all of the other stuff uh, someplace else. Uh, and and I'm going to have to do the AC thing, because it was actually not so bad in here. I'll just turn on one of them. We'll go to half power. Don't turn on all the streams. Uh, come on. 
Just a problem when they're on, there you go. Um, Uh, uh, Marisha says uh, DeSantis sent migrants to Obama's house in Martha's Vineyard and Abbott sent some to Kamala's house. We need someone to gather up all the uh, shit and homeless from LA and SF, send them to Pelosi, Newsom, and Garcia. Before I get into the larger point, I don't know if you knew this, but two years ago, or just maybe a year before the pandemic, so three or four now, I guess, there was a downtown LA was, was and remains filthy and unlivable, but there was a period there when the garbage had built up so much in downtown LA that the rats had multiplied so much that, the, that they were, scientists were finding rats that had the, the bubonic plague bacillus. They were carriers of bubonic plague in downtown Los Angeles. One of the guys who runs a rescue mission down there to help the homeless has lost a leg because in helping the homeless, he got bitten by an infected rat. They, the infection was so bad it cut his leg off save his life but it's not there anymore and you know why it's not there anymore you know who cleaned up that that pile of garbage I'm not saying it's livable or clean it's neither of those things but you know who you know who actually went in there with a crew and cleaned up this plague infested typhoid infested rat colony it was a group of conservatives from a different freaking state who got on, got on a series of buses and trucks, drove to Los Angeles, put on the hazmat suits, cleaned it up, and then left. What does that tell you? What does it tell you? I know I'm on the right side. I've always known I'm on the right side. This is, this is crazy. So back to this business about shipping uh, uh, migrants to um, Chicago, New York, and now Martha's Vineyard and stuff. When I said we were in a mimetic war, in an idea war, this is one of the few examples of a genuine, honest-to-God, strategically brilliant breakout. This is, this is the kind of thing, this is, I, I don't even know how to describe this in military terms. It's, it's, it's bigger than the Doolittle Raid. It's, it's, it's like the Third Army breaking through and just going, just going. You know, we're going to stop when we get to Berlin. I'm going to shoot that paper-hanging son of a bitch myself with my ivory-handled uh, revolver. They're not pearl-handled. Some pearl-handled revolvers are owned by people who run out uh, uh, whorehouses. This business is perfect. Uh, Phil has a good video about Seattle homeless really being a drug problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's good to see you, Phil. And Bobby. Uh, so, and the reason this is such a strategically brilliant move on our part, and we get to see so few of them, is because it is, it is an irrefutable attack. It is, it, is, it is so mimetically perfect that the only way to stop it is to invalidate what caused it in the first place. That's what it is. It's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's an act of genius. That's really what it is. The only way that they can solve this problem of, of it being in their own cities is for them to cease what caused it in the first place. In other words, if we keep shipping illegal immigrants to them and we keep flooding their cities with illegal immigrants, especially their neighborhoods, and they start complaining about the flood of illegal immigrants, which has already happened many times. But if they get to the point where they realize that Texas and, 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 um, and Florida aren't going to stop, then they will eventually start calling for a secure border because then housing uh, unknown people with uh, questionable backgrounds 
and opening your doors and your pantries and your and your bedrooms to them then that becomes actual virtue not just virtue signaling virtue signaling is costless that's why it's called virtue signaling but when they have to pay for it when they have to pay for it uh, it's it's brilliant uh, I didn't realize this um, so, oh, Roger Ramjet, I think. Yeah, Roger Ramjet 59. Love the title. Love the, love the Roger, love the Ramjet, and love the 59. Uh, he says, I love how the press said they were shipping them to Martha's Vineyard, quote, without any warning, unquote. No shit. Meaning, like, on the border? Yeah. You, you didn't let us know they're coming. We did, actually. We have video of them coming. The people that are in Martha's Vineyard now? Yeah, we got video of them. They, they came into the United States four weeks ago, and, and we can show you the, the video where, where they came in because you invited them in. And not only did you invite them in, you wouldn't let us protect ourselves by keeping them out. You made this a federal mandate, so there you go. Um, Biden pressures, oh, here's a link from uh, FN Geek AZ. It's a Daily Wire, those guys can't be trusted. Uh, Biden pressures Mexico to take migrants as GOP governors send illegal immigrants to Democrat areas. Do you, do you not see the, the genius, the genius of this? And Marisha points out, by the way, they're not getting raw illegal immigrants. The worst of the worst, the psychos and the, and the, and the, the ones that are coughing up you know, blood, that kind of thing. They're still at the border. It's still Texas's problem. So they're they're getting kind of immigrant wave light, and still, still, uh, yeah. So all right, okay. This is such a brilliant piece of 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 politics. I finally have a topic for moving back to America now. I was like, for the life of me, could not think of one. Maybe I'll, I'll see if I can shoot that tomorrow. I'll definitely get to it on Tuesday. It is so brilliant that it makes me wonder how this strategy can be applied in other areas. And it's important we understand this, right? They can say we want open immigration and we're a sanctuary city so long as no immigrants actually show up. That's, what, that's how they get away with it. Once the immigrants do show up, then they start changing their policies. Now, what else can be done about this? For example, here in the People's Republic, uh, they are closing down. Or they, they managed to keep uh, Diablo Canyon open longer because it's producing less carbon. It costs 60% of what the... Uh, uh, fossil fuel based electricity is and I did a study on California Energy six months ago they closed um, uh, not Dana Point, what is it? Uh, what's that nuclear plant down there um, so. anyway they closed a nuclear plant that was producing 1,800 megawatts of power and opened up a solar farm that makes 40 part-time uh, uh, San Onofre uh, nuclear plant um, so uh, so how do we take, so how do we hit them with the energy issue? In other words, Newsom has factored in 
because he's doing this on personal question. He's doing it on purpose. No, this is not even up for discussion. He knows that he's driving people out of the state. He wants to drive people out of the state. He wants to drive Republicans out of the state so they can rule forever. So the question is, well, Marisha basically got it. How do you cut the power to Pelosi's house? And I don't mean illegally. What can you do to take this strategy and apply it to every other one of these social issues? One of the things, again, I don't know exactly how you would pull this off. I know, I know on, on general principles what it would look like. If you want to deal with the trans issue and, and all of this, you know, fifth graders going to drag parties and stuff, there's a way to avoid that. There's a way to, to, to use this lesson. The problem is it involves a little bit of coercion. If you were to take, some of these couples are, are, are gay couples who have adopted children. And if you were to take these adopted children at age five and take them to a Christian camp where they were subjected to Christian values for a month, let's say, they would scream bloody murder. They wouldn't stop screaming. So this is the kind of thing that we have to do. You have to, they, they are not shy about saying what they want. So let's give it to them. Uh, Dave Big Booty says he can't even keep the lights on. Uh, Ron DeSantis said that on Gavin Newsom. He's, he's a lot further he could go to. Um, there were posters around town here after um, the Uvalde shooting that basically said, honest to God, now they're not, they, and they didn't say this ironically. It's like, are you thinking about moving to Texas? Are you crazy? Stay here where it's safe. Um, I had thought in my charmingly attractive naivete, my boyish sense of wonder, that, that the mask mandate would turn these Californians into conservatives because the whole idea was so reprehensible and the practice was so intrusive and, and, and all of it. And I thought for sure that, that was going to result in uh, Newsom's uh, recall. Nope. Uh, that's an indication things are much worse than I thought. As I've said many times in pretty much all of our shows, here in the office building, here in the uh, Whittle Executive Tower, up here on the 97th floor, uh, and in fact in the entire uh, glass mirror building that, that we work out of, four out of five people are wearing masks today. Yeah, today. They're, they're continue to wear masks, and it really makes me want to simply say, what? I'm asking this seriously, sir. I'm not trying to offend you or upset you. Out of just sheer curiosity, what, what is it that you are waiting for before you feel comfortable about taking them off? What, what is it that you're, that, that you're waiting for? Presumably you're not only uh, vaccinated, but you're quadruple boost, boosted or quintuple boosted or whatever. I, I'm just curious. I'd like to know. I, I just don't know what to make of it. And, and when you get to this point, thank you, Dave. Uh, Dave Bugudi says that this is day 913 of 15 days to flatten the curve. So they, uh, broke college student says, I'm at a liberal college and only the occasional person will wear a mask one third, one thirtieth or one fiftieth maybe. It's actually reassuring news. Here, 
it's it's 80 percent and in much of LA it's 80 percent a part of that is as I've said the blue face mask is the MAGA hat for liberals right it's it's their it's their uh, it's their uh, blue badge of cowardice is what it is um, so uh, so there's that but but it is so intrusive and so alien alien to, to human experience that there's got to be a reason beyond that because they're doing it indoors paradoxically I can understand a, a, a liberal wearing a mask outdoors where it gets to show the traffic what a, what a swell uh, you know a compliant individually is but indoors even inside their own offices they continue to wear the masks and that can't be to convince each other of how virtuous they are because they're all doing it so they all know they're they're the good guys so why are they doing it why and I've come to realize that this fits in with my pre-existing theory is that they that, that you really need to understand most of this left-wing politics is coming from cowardice cowardice and insecurity we talked about this gun issue earlier on the show today how how progressives say, how could you possibly have a gun in your house? What if you got really angry and you start shooting everybody in your family? Don't project your insecurities on a meat pal. They, it's not even, it's not even fear of getting COVID. It's, it's, they feel comfortable like this. They, they feel comfortable. If, if, the, if they could have issued burqas, they'd like that even better. They're, afraid of anything else, anything outside them. Oikophobia. Xenophobia is fear of the unknown or the foreign. Oikophobia is fear of the well-known and the common. And once again, uh, 15 comments about uh, what am I doing still here? And the answer is, as I've said before, I could tell you volcanologist has to live under the volcano, but the actual answer is the reason I'm here is because it's air conditioned outside, right? And and I don't have to wear, I don't have to spray myself with a with a two inch uh, thick slime of off insect repellent to make it from my car to my house. I grew up in South Florida, and I am never going back to that humidity unless I have to. Uh, never. Um, he says with the portable air conditioning going, and the, and the, the, the really strange part about that is, uh, I don't spend a lot of time outdoors. Uh, now, uh, GK Masterson says move move to Idaho then. Now, given that serious thought, unfortunately, uh, my wife is from Siberia and uh, she's determined that we're never going to live anywhere cold again. So that's out, and that means most of the country's out. In fact. Everything that's possibly okay for her is uh, off the table for me, and everything that's off the table for uh, her is okay to me, and you, know, you get the idea. Um, so, anyway, that's the that's your daily rant. Now let's do some questions. Bill remains because it's his home, and he won't concede his home to those miserable bastards. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. That sounds much, much, much better than Bill stays in California because if he went back to Florida, he wouldn't have this fabulous hair anymore. He'd have the same kind of brown pom-pom that he had on his head for the first half of his life. Yeah, I like the here, I, I like the, I'm here to not 
surrender the state argument much better. In fact, I got into a duel with one of these left-wing uh, rapscallions, one of these scalawags, one of these blackguards, one of these malcontents. He managed to nick me right here on the lip because I was turning to salute the, the, the judge, the referee of the, of the duel. He nicked me right on the lip. I ran him through, obviously. Still, rather unsupporting. All right, so let's see what we got here. Uh, stock. <laughs> let's see, let's see, let's see. All right, I'm going to put on my uh, cogitation spectacles here. And uh, I'm going to keep this one relatively short tonight, two hours. You know, we got another hour to go. Uh, for reasons. And uh, I might just tell you what those are in just a second. First things first. at all this incredible content. My God. It just, you scroll down and just never ends. Look at all this stuff. My God, what does it cost to be a member here? $200 a month, certain. What? <sighs> I have to log into my own website. I don't want to stay logged in because I don't want somebody having access to my top secret access. Remember forum. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. As a matter of fact, that is one of the two shows. No, I wasn't actually in that. I was assistant director on that show. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Funny show despite the fact that Zero Mostel is the lead in the movie. All right, here we go. Wait. 9-15-22. Well, that's today. All right. Uh, let's see. G uh, GK Masterson, only one question this week, but it's a doozy. Do you think that a new civil war is inevitable at this point, or is there still time to prevent it? Okay, I was wrong. Two questions. What are your thoughts on the death of Queen Elizabeth II? To be honest with you, GK, I think I've answered both of those. Uh, certainly, of the, the the Queen Elizabeth uh, one, I did a virtue signal on dignity and talked about it on on a bunch of stuff. Uh, and as I've said before, the problem with the Civil War is you're opening fire on the person next door. If we were geographically separated the way we were in the real Civil War, uh, well, then we wouldn't have to have a Civil War. And remember, I don't. I, Despite the fact that I said we're in a mimetic war, on some level that is defining down the meaning of war. War is bloody, messy, horrible business, and um, and these people are not going to—they're not going to stand up to that. The problem is, is that they're masters of psychology, so they don't have to. They just have to convince us that we're the bad guys in our own country, and that's what's basically working for them. Uh, okay, so Marisha Dark topic: colon America's battered wife syndrome. There's a headline for you. Uh, hey, Bill, was listening to you and Zoe's video on what went wrong, and one line above, above all struck out, stuck out to me when you said, you're going to give a $7 gas and then knock it down to $4, and we're going to be grateful. It occurred to me that for many people, that's exactly what will happen. It reminded me of the relationship of a battered wife, wherein the man will be unspeakably abusive, but she will continue to remain with him anyway. You get that general argument? And we have three more paragraphs. 
I feel that many Americans suffer the same complex, and perhaps the solution to our political problems can be found in the psychological problem. In other words, use the same tactics you would use to save a better wife to save America. It's somewhat ironic. My mind went to this analogy, as I recall, Ann Coulter many years ago, speaking on immigration policy, saying that, quote, America is not a battered woman's shelter, and I would say, add that we're not an orphanage either. Our power comes with the responsibility to play protector only as long as for long enough for others to grow up and learn independence on their own, to be able to protect themselves so that we no longer have to, or for the day when we might not be there to do it for them. Somewhere along the way, Americans, especially conservatives, suffered a great and terrible trauma that convinced us that we are not only powerless, but that we are obliged to suffer the abuses of truly terrible people in order to ease their insecurities at the cost of creating our own. Do you have any thoughts on what this might or, or when be? You've said before you can't reason our way out of problems we entertained ourselves into. I would add that you can't add... You can't reason our way out of problems that were ultimately rooted in trauma or insecurity, i.e. problems that are emotional and based on identity rather than on logical arguments or data. This holds true whether you're talking about the left's insecurities or rights. Now, I feel sorry about having to uh, pick on Marisha that way, but basically, uh, you probably could have gotten away with, um, I feel many Americans suffer from uh, battered wife syndrome, and uh, would you use the same tactics to save battered wives as you would to save America? I could get through more questions that way. Or at least I'd be more willing to face them. And again, I mean, just didn't mean to pick you up. Uh, you just happen to be, uh, you just happen to be walking where the where the missile landed. Uh, so, so battered wife syndrome is different, I think, than what we're facing here because because a a, a wife, and by the way battered wife, a, 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 a man, a, a wife beater, a man who beats his wife, he doesn't abuse her, he doesn't, there's not a case of domestic violence, he's a, he's a wife beater, he beats, he, he punches women, that's what he does. Uh, the reason I think the analogy is a little different is because I don't think that the people that support Biden and the Democrats feel like they're an abusive, in a, an abusive relationship. We do. We know the damage that's being done to, to, to the structures and to our freedom and all the rest of it. We're fully aware of what's going on, but we're not battered wives because we don't go back. We don't, we don't keep voting Democrat after, after watching all this. And this kind of comes back to the, to the overriding genius of sending migrants to democratic cities. This is the, sending migrants from Texas to New York is the first time that New Yorkers have ever felt punched in the face by Democrats punched in the face. Everything that they've uh, had to endure, it's taking New York City as an example, for pretty much my life, it was miserable. And then it suddenly got fantastic. It got fantastic because there was a Republican, but we won't talk about that. And then there was a pseudo-Republican who eventually ran as a Democratic candidate. And then there was a communist. And now there's some weird hybrid of communist uh, policeman or whatever and now it's getting to be hell again but the republicans never got the credit for it because you can't credit republicans because we don't have an immune system if the press had been there the press would have said hey this rudy, rudy giuliani guy's really accomplished a miracle it would be the talk of the nation for a decade but it wasn't so they don't seem to be able to connect this now this goes to something actually really interesting mercy you raise a really interesting point here It's, this tells me, this tells me that this is not so much a battered wife problem. It's another manifestation of, of, the, of the brain 
the bio, the, the, the neurological, biochemical, anatomical malfunction in progressives' minds. This doesn't strike me as a as a as a battered wife issue. This strikes me as an amygdala problem. So let's go dive into that little pool again because this is one of those things that really needs to be automatic. Number of tests have shown through CAT scans, MRIs, and so on, that the amygdala on conservatives is larger than it is on on uh, liberals. Probably everything else is larger too, but I don't have that data in front of me. In any event, um, there's no question about that. It's it's more developed. It's more developed in men than it is in women. It's more developed in conservatives than it is in uh, progressives. Now, when progressives hear this, they will say that the amygdala is the brain center, is the is the fear center of the brain, and that's why it's so prominent among conservatives because we live our lives in the shadows, angry and full of fear. But the amygdala is not the fear center. The amygdala is the warning center. That's what the amygdala does. So the best way to think of the amygdala, I know many of you have heard this before, but if you haven't, you should hear it for the first time. And if you have, you need to hear it again. The amygdala is essentially a small little alarm button that lives in your brain. And it is extremely simple, really. What the amygdala is designed to do is to immediately generate the appropriate response without having to cogitate it. So let's go to the classic example of what the amygdala does. Walking down the path in, 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 in the jungle and, you, and you're carrying your, your animal home and your caveman and everything, because nothing changes, right? You're, maybe you're not a caveman in the jungle, but you get the general idea. So you're walking along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden you hear a crack of a twig in, in back of you, and then there's a there's a, a, a jaguar or a saber-toothed tiger, pick your ethnicity, and it mauls you terribly, but you manage to survive. What the amygdala does is, the amygdala connects the stimulus of that sound with the emotional consequences, which are rampant fear, pain, and terror. And the reason we have an amygdala is to, is it has got a very strong pro-survival selection, which is why the progressives don't have it, because they don't need it. Because conservatives have made a world where there aren't any saber-toothed tigers out there for them. We are the ones who are responsible for their mental illness because they can't handle the stuff that we, that we do, like freedom and stuff. So back to the subject, right? So what the amygdala does is, the amygdala says, okay, uh, I remember hearing a twig snap, and I remember being mauled by the tiger. And, uh, and then the malignant just basically shuts up and minds its own business. That's also why it's more developed in conservatives, right? Minds its own business until the second that you hear that twig snap again. And at that point, the amygdala kicks in and says, run or fight. More likely, run. Don't think about it. Don't wonder about what it is. Don't turn around and look. Don't, don't imagine, I, could that have been my friend Grog from, from the other, no. The second you hear that, that sound is associated with a terrible outcome, run like hell, you can sort it out later. And that's what the amygdala does. It is, it is a threat assessment center. It, it, it remembers what's dangerous. It's probably the best the definition I've ever come up with it, for it. It remembers what's dangerous and progressives have this particular part of their brain extraordinarily less developed than conservatives. So they cannot 
they cannot measure threat because they have no ability to identify threat. They simply don't see it. This is why they have no problem with people coming in across the border because they don't have the they don't have the the fundamental reflex of like this is dangerous. That's why they do everything that they do. This is dangerous. And and so and so they simply just don't have the brain power for it. And that's really catastrophic. So the reason I don't think it's a, a, a battered housewife thing, uh, Marusha, is a battered housewife knows that her husband is, a, is an animal and she hopes that he will change. Or she hopes that if she finds a pattern of behavior that will essentially disarm him. Or she hopes that, that, that you know, whatever. Whatever the hope is to keep the wife in a situation assuming there's not, and there is always, a, a, an ocean of practical reasons that are keeping her there, but the emotional commitment to somebody who harms you and staying committed to somebody who does nothing but harm you, that dynamic doesn't apply to them because they don't see the harm and you can't make them see the harm. And now you get to why it's so frustrating trying to argue with these people because when you really, really get right down to it, they've got an emotional reaction and their emotional reaction is predicated on a fact that they have missing brain functions. It's like it's like it's genuinely a good great example. It's like it's like they're colorblind, they're threat blind, and you can have an argument about color with a colorblind person, and they'll look at you like you're from the moon, and you'll look at them like you're from the moon, and you can point out colors all you want to, and the connection of colors to other events, but since they can't see the colors in the first place, they can never make the connection. So, yes, and uh, George says, and they go into full panic, but not a moderated threat response. Precisely. So just to put the icing on the cake, because I've dealt with this before, I've gotten a little practice at running this little module, my, my amygdala uh, rant module. Many years ago now, 10 at least, and probably more, an American school went into lockdown. SWAT teams were called. Everybody got locked in the room, and the SWAT teams came in, and the students were escorted out of the building under police protection. And, you know, we've, we're seeing way too much of this, and that's another related subject, but I'll get to that later. So what was it that caused this lockdown? Was it somebody firing in the halls? Uh, was somebody walking around the building with a, with a rifle? No, what had happened was uh, a six- or seven-year-old boy had taken a Pop-Tart and chewed a little bit out of it so it looked a bit like a forty-five. He had, I'm not making this up now. This is, this is really true. This actually happened. A boy chewed a Pop-Tart into the general shape of a, of a semi-automatic pistol. A, you can't get a Pop-Tart to look an awful lot like a real gun. All you can do is just approximate the form, and if you're doing it with your teeth, you get the idea, right? So they immediately lock down the entire school. Why? Because they have no calibrated threat assessment abilities. It triggered their amygdala, which is why that word triggered is actually such a good word. They try to apply it with us. You guys are triggered by this. No, I'm not triggered by this. I'm angry about this. There's a big difference between being triggered and angry. Triggered is, a, is an automatic reflex, and anger is a well-considered uh, asset under certain circumstances. Okay, so they're triggered by it. And so they call in all of this other stuff because the school people are hyperventilating because in their brain they think weapon, weapon, some kind of, some manifestation of weapon in our school now, the thing that I've spent my whole life being afraid of every day is about to happen. Okay. 
here's the cherry on the on the uh, on the icing. You know who doesn't get upset about pop tarts chewed in the general shape of pistols? Uh, SEAL Team members don't. If if you're on C SEAL Team Six, as an example, and I know a few people who are, and one of those guys walks into a room and sees a pop tart chewed into the general shape of a pistol, he may smile or he may say, "Hey, who's this?" He may try to get the kid out of there so he can give him a real education, but the one thing he's not going to do is panic. And do you know why that seal is not going to panic when he sees a Pop-Tart chewed in the, in, the, in the shape of a pistol? The answer is because he has been shot at with real pistols, and so he knows what a real threat is. So since he's been shot at with real pistols and had real tigers jumping on his back, he doesn't have this panic reaction at a Pop-Tart pistol or the same kind of panic, anger, flea response when you get soy milk instead of almond milk in your, in your Starbucks orders. So as we make this world more and more and more secure for these people, they become less and less and less able to assess actual genuine threats. And so they bring the, they bring the things that they panic about up. Their, their, their stimuli rises to the occasion. And that's why they're such cowards and such lunatics. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. It's just very, very sad. I think, obviously, once the brain is developed, there's not much you can do about that, but people are not gene genetically, well, I suppose on some level they are genetically liberal or conservative based on, you know, breeding patterns. But I personally believe that that amygdala development happens during childhood, and that's what play is all about. In fact, I know this to be true. So when we say to kids, you are no longer going to have to deal with the stress or the anxiety of losing a Little League baseball game because we're not going to keep score anymore, what you've done is, is you have taken away the ability of that kid to calibrate how much emotional pain you should feel when you lose a Little League game versus how much you should feel when your life is being threatened. And the more we try to build this protective bubble around children, the sicker and sicker and sicker they get. And it's not just their amygdala either, their immune systems as well. You want to, you want to make America healthy? You want, you want our country back again? It's very simple. Take all of the children that are in this country and make them spend two hours a day outside playing in the mud and the dirt. Honest to God, that's all it would take. That's the answer. That's it. It's that simple, really. Because they would immediately realize a couple things. First of all, they'd realize that, okay, so I fell out of this tree. And maybe I fell out of this tree and broke my arm and it hurt like hell. But it hurt like hell for an hour or two until they got me to the hospital. Probably less than that. Now I wear a cast, then it doesn't hurt anymore. Next time I'm in a tree, I'll be more careful. But they won't be afraid of trees, and they won't be afraid of outdoors because they realized, hey, I fell out of a tree. This is the one thing my mom said, can't climb a tree, because if you climb a tree, you could fall and kill yourself. Well, I fell, and I didn't kill myself. I just broke an arm. Most of the time that I've fallen out of trees, I didn't break anything. As a matter of fact, every time I've fallen out of a tree, I have not broken anything. Because I landed on my head all of those times protected, you know, the more delicate bones in my body, but I've fallen out of trees a few times, and I've fallen off of bikes more times than I can count. And I've done all of these things that you have done, and all of the people listening have done, and that every generation prior to this one has done, and, and yet, the, the, not only the desire, but the actual application of protecting children from calibrated trauma. That's a cool phrase, if I do say so myself. I'm rather fond of that.
Childhood is a period where humans are exposed to calibrated trauma. Losing a baseball game is a somewhat traumatic experience. I can remember feeling pretty miserable when we went 0-10 our first season. Parenthetically, I would not have felt so good when we won the first game next year. Forget about going 10-0 because that's what actually happened. But just winning the first game felt like, oh my God. Same thing with the Gators, by the way. When I got to the University of Florida in 79, we were 0-10-1. We tied our second game, lost everything else. Didn't win a single game as a year, not one. So that we finally won a game the next season, we partied like it was 1999 when in fact it was 1979. We had 20 years of partying to go. Um, so, so here it is, right? And none of this is a mystery and none of this is hard. And, 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 and uh, paradoxically, because I almost said ironically, but that's kind of their term. They live in a world where everything is ironic. Paradoxically, this is science. This isn't opinion. This is science. You put two people into now, we're talking about the extremes, right? So you put me and Sink, whatever his name is, into an MRI and scan our brains. People, guys don't know us from Adam, right? Maybe we're, we're wearing masks. Scan our brains, out we come. They'll say, uh, uh, subject A has a robust, in fact, a admirable amygdala. Really, really quite impressive, obviously. And this other fellow, uh, subject B, has a wrinkled, shriveled, uh, limp, weak, practically non-existent parody of, of, of what an amygdala should be. So it's science. Uh, and I, I, for one, uh, follow the science. I just don't follow it off the cliff. Chris Taylor. Are you taking care of yourself the way you would hope your friends took care of themselves? What a charming question, and thank you for asking, Chris. Yes, I am doing much better than I had been because of friends and who, who basically had an intervention with me and uh, basically uh, convinced me that, didn't convince me, just good to hear from people who are saying, no, all the stuff you're going through, we went through this too. And I thought, you guys? Really? Yeah. Well, then I guess it's okay. Did me a world of good. But thank you for asking. Um, yeah, and, and hopefully by now on this episode we've, we've covered enough of this and how, just how dreadful that whole Biden thing was and emotionally and, and just general tiredness and, and being overwhelmed with 10,000 things to do and so I do little bits of 10,000 things and they'll all be ready at the same time 203 years from now. Um, so thank you, uh, thank you for asking there, Chris. Uh, Judy Sheiks. At Lumley 87 Live, CA. I hope that Bill has time this evening to share his thoughts on the passing of Queen Elizabeth earlier today. Uh, so, this was written when she passed away. She was the only monarch during my lifetime. She installed 15 prime ministers. The Queen's first prime minister, Sir Winston Churchill, was born 101 years before the current PM, Liz Truss. She was not only connected to her Second World War, but to the Victorian era. What a truly remarkable woman she was. Uh, as I said earlier, I've, I've talked about her on, on a number of different shows, including a virtue signal called Dignity. Uh, but I will, uh, since this is the second request tonight, I will add a, a small uh, embellishment here. And regular listeners have already heard this, but what else is new? So, 
my grandfather taught the Prince of Wales's grandfather how to play soccer. That's a true story. That's a true story. My grandfather taught the current Prince of Wales, William, taught his grandfather how to play soccer. You can just take my word for it, or would you like me to elaborate? Okay, I'll elaborate. My grandfather, my mother's father, name was Alfred Potts. Alfred Potts uh, was in uh, Royal Naval Intelligence during and after the war. And his area of expertise was the Mediterranean. My mom grew up in Egypt, Malta. She was there for the Suez Crisis, where she was nearly massacred by crowds outside. So she led a, an interesting life, and so did my grandfather. My grandfather had the ability, back in those days before computers, when we really understood things better, just not faster, the Royal, Royal Naval Intelligence had, a, a, had an, just an enormous map, a huge wooden map of the Mediterranean. And they had little wooden chits that were representing the cargo ships. And my grandfather got to the point where he knew, he could look at anything and say, that's something's going on here. Because he knew the captains, not, by, not personally, although in some cases I suppose he did. He knew what kind of cargo the ship usually carried, where it goes, when it goes there. Uh, and then it also, um, uh, it all, sorry, I just saw some, Phil, is that true? You just say yes or no. So let me finish the story. Um, so he was the guy, and in somewhere in the 50s, I think, late 50s, he was um, awarded the Order of the British Empire, which is basically the, about the lowest level of nobility, but nevertheless, it is a, it's a significant honor. It's not quite a knighthood, but it's, it's getting there. When I was in London in 1976, I, I didn't have his number, and I, and I called directory assistance, as one did in those days, in London. Thank you. I will, I will talk about that in a minute. Um, that's just too good to be true. Hang on, folks. Uh, I was in London. I called director assistance. I said, can I get the number for Alfred Potts? I forgot. And she says, Alfred Potts. And, uh, Alfred Potts. Oh, yeah, but Alfred Potts in, uh, in uh, Worcester. I said, that's it. She goes, is it Alfred Potts OBE? And I said, I'm not sure. She says, it's a pretty big deal. So that's him. So when my grandfather was in his late 20s or 30s, somewhere in there, he was stationed in Beirut, and he was on the beach in Lebanon one day. And he saw a bunch of kids there playing soccer, and one kid sitting off on the sideline looking morose. And so, being the kind of man he was, he went up to him and said, What's the matter, uh, young man? He says, oh, I, don't, I, just, you know, I, don't, I don't play with the other kids because I don't know how to play. I mean, I know how hard can it be at soccer, right? But he just had no, had no skills at all, zero. Didn't know how to kick a ball, dribble, nothing. He couldn't do anything. And so my uncle uh, basically took pity on him and, and, and spent some time with him, I think over the course of the next several days or weeks, just giving him the basics here. Pass it back and forth, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it. So anyway, this kid was named uh, Philip. Uh, and he was a smart kid, but he was kind of a lonely and withdrawn kid. And so my grandfather basically taught him the basics of soccer. And, and Philip started joining in with the rest of the kids and everything was great. Well, it turned out that this, was, this particular Philip was Prince Philip of Greece, who went on to marry Queen Elizabeth, become the father of King Charles, who is the father of uh, William, uh, the Prince of Wales. 
So my grandfather taught Will's grandfather how to play soccer. So what do you think about that? My relationship to the royal family uh, is much, much stronger than it is for most Americans. Uh, not only because I'm half British, I'm fully half British, my father's father and my mother's father were both Englishmen. My father's mother was German-Polish, and my mother's mother was Portuguese. So half English, half, half English, quarter Portuguese, and a quarter uh, German-Polish. Now, every morning of my life, for five days a week anyway, six counting Sundays, uh, I'd get dressed, brush my teeth, put on my little uniform, go to school, and uh, first thing we do is, is sing God Save the Queen. Thank you for that broke college student. Thank you very much, he says, but full American. Not only full American, I am ultra MAGA American. Um, so, uh, so I sang God Save the Queen every morning of my life. And, and the first comment I had when, when I'd heard that she had passed away was that it's gonna be hard now because, because the words of the British national anthem have changed and it's going to be difficult to undo what is actually genuinely literally in the literally and i mean this literally in the literally literally sense of literal it, it is a habit of a lifetime um we as of a few days ago it's not god save our gracious queen oh, god save our gracious king long live our noble queen god save the king king Send her him victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the queen. king, king. That, every single mailbox in the entire nation has to be changed because they all say ER, including the chair that he was sitting in when they um, announced him uh, and, and, and gave him certification as the king, right? He's sitting in a big chair. It says ER, Elizabeth Regina, queen. That's going to say CR on it pretty quick. All of the mailboxes are going to say CR. The palace guards who now have ER on them, that's going to be CR. I don't know if that happens at the coronation, but he is certainly legally now and historically King Charles III. Uh, all of the ships in the, in the Royal Navy change their names overnight. They're no longer HMS uh, Exeter is no longer Her, Majest Her Majesty's ship Exeter. It's now His Majesty's ship Exeter. And I'd be willing to bet you there is no Exeter anymore. It's probably uh, the HMS diversity or um, HMS uh, uh, carbon emissions or something like that. Maybe it's Bodie McBoatface. Um, so Ed Smith, Edward Smith says, all the mailboxes, that might take time. It's not just the mailboxes. ER is everywhere. And it's going to change. And to be perfectly honest with you, not too long after this, it's going to change again. Um, and then it'll be WR. Dave Big Booty says, on His Majesty's Secret Service just doesn't have the same ring. It doesn't, does it? It doesn't. You know, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, I'll take a look at that. And, you know, I'll do it now. I'll just open the link. On His Majesty's Secret Service doesn't have the same ring as on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I suspect the reason is because on Her Majesty's Secret Service, you would expect to send a tough, deadly male out to protect Her Majesty. 
but if it's His Majesty's Secret Service, some part of me thinks, well, why isn't His Majesty out there doing the shooting? So, um, real uh, Catherine Case says, I think the death of Elizabeth is a death knell for the monarchy. I, I don't think so. Oh, was it E2R? Now it's C3R? I guess they did do that, yeah. So Elizabeth II, the, 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 the two is much smaller. Now it's C3R, and I don't know what William will be. It'll be William the sixth or seventh, I think? William, uh, I know there's been a William the fourth. That'll be a fine, that'll be a fine. Oh, it'll be, oh, it'll be WVR, be William the fifth, King William the fifth. Um, okay, so, um, so I have a, a strong connection to the royal family, and uh, and my uncle also served in the, Her Majesty's uh, armed forces. Uh, is undoubtedly feeling about as low as, as uh, everybody else's. I don't think that this is the end of the royal family. You can't. People don't really understand this. In fact, the Brits don't understand it because it's not anything written down. The British government is predicated on the monarchy in the way that ours is predicated on the Constitution, except that it's not written down. Parts of it are written down, and the Magna Carta was most of it, but, but the actual relationship in terms of ownership and all the rest of it, no, it's not. And, and you cannot simply eliminate the monarchy. Now, you, you, you can eliminate the monarchy, but you have to vote it out of existence. And I don't think that the uh, British are in any mood to do that. But then again, last time I was in England was 45 years ago. It's not the same country anymore. Maybe they will vote themselves into a republic and shortly thereafter into an Islamic republic. I don't know. However, I do know that despite, even, even with the exception of the, of the hardwired lunatic nutjob left wings who've been screeching about this since since there's been a monarchy, most Britons that I know have a strong respect for the monarchy and appreciate that it is the glue that holds that country together. That's it too, right? The monarchy is the glue that holds England together, the, uh, Great Britain together, in the same way the Constitution holds this country together. So uh, I do agree that uh, with her passing, an era has ended and we are in a uh, nastier era, but I kind of got used to that um, situation a, a while ago. All right, so breaking news as we do the Stratosphere Lounge Live. Uh, just came to me uh, uh, from Phil and a couple of other people. It's now on the uh, Wall Street Journal webpage. Illinois governor declares emergency over migrants bust from Texas. Chicago has received about 500 asylum seekers so far as Texas Governor Abbott defends the practice. Wow, that, that, that tiny little suburb, that little itty bitty little village of Chicago has received 500 whole illegal immigrants? 500, my God, how are they gonna assimilate 500 illegal asylum seekers in a, in a, in a town as small as Chicago? Beggars belief. Good. It's a happy coincidence that we spent a lot of time talking about this earlier. I'm not going to talk about it much more other than to say then uh, everything is, is proceeding according to plan. If, if, in fact, I can't believe, seriously, I can't believe that they've fallen into this kind of a trap. If 
Illinois is saying that 500 illegal asylum seekers is enough for the governor of a state to declare a state of emergency, then that completely undoes their entire argument. This is an enormous win for us. It's a legal precedent, right? I mean, honestly, now Abbott and, and, and DeSantis and all the rest say, listen, we sent them 500 people. We are getting hundreds and thousands of them a year and have been for 50 years. But he's declared a state of emergency. He's used that level of, of gubernatorial power because of 500 illegal immigrants, and we're facing hundreds of thousands of them. So now do you take us seriously? Do you believe us now? Do you believe us now? Excellent. I say we send them all. Send them all. And, and, and by the way, I think the reason we should send all of the um, illegal, I didn't mean to say illegal immigrants, undocumented uh, workers and, and um, residents. The reason I think we should send them all to sanctuary cities like San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, the reason I think we should send every single one of them to those sanctuary cities, those self-declared sanctuary cities, is to keep them out of the hands of, of those violent, racist, white supremacist rednecks down in Florida and Texas and Arizona and take them to the loving arms of people who, who have expressed their willingness to embrace uh, their presence here in this country. I say don't take any chances. Don't leave a single one of them down there amidst those hateful, bigoted, vicious, awful people. Get them out of Texas and Florida as fast as you can and get them to a sanctuary city where they will be safe from, from, from this kind of, you know, harassment and, and uh, immigration shaming, all the rest of it. Why don't they like diversity and the dreamers, uh, Bill, asked JWTD Kuda. Uh, because they're racists, Kuda, because they are, in fact, the racists. They've always been the racists. The Democratic Party was the Confederacy. When the Confederacy realized that they were going to lose the right to, bear, to, to keep their slaves as more and more states were coming in free, the Democratic Party left the Union and became the Confederacy. It wasn't, there was not, this is it true, I don't know how many states it was, but it was, I, I know for an absolute certain fact it was one state, and it may have been as many as four or five. During the, during the election of 1860, there was at least one state in the, in the Deep South, and I think several, where Abraham Lincoln did not get a single vote. And I don't mean a single electoral vote. He did not get one single popular vote in the entire state because he was a Republican. That's, that's who they are, and that's what they do. And all of this stuff is designed to make them feel good about themselves because not only does it make them feel better than horrible racists like, like you and me and, and dangerous to America, but, and this is the most important thing, but this virtue signaling gives white liberals the thing they're really looking for, which is a sense of supremacy over black people. That's, they are the white supremacists. They are the ones who think that it's up to us, white people, to save black people because black people are not capable of running their lives for themselves. That's what the message is, whether they realize it or not. That's what they believe. That's what they believe. We have to be so progressive as white crusaders for this cause that we will rein in other white people's white supremacy so that, so that black people can have a chance. We white people are going to have to enable 
a situation where black people can, you know, survive or thrive. The miserable, racist, aristocratic, control freak, insecure, hateful, desperate, mean, awful, cowardly people in the country, and that is who they are. And that's why they're not happy about this, this is why they're declaring a state of emergency, by the way, which also not only ties into our immigration argument, it also ties into our amygdala argument, right? Is 500 asylum seekers? Look, I understand, I fully understand that, that, that in this group of 500 people, there are undoubtedly people who should be vetted. None of them should be getting into the country illegally. Anyway, I'm not making that argument at all. But what I am saying is, of those 500 people, almost all of them are, are decent people. They're, they, they don't have a right to be here, but they're not a particular threat in terms of it's not like it's 500 armed Al-Qaeda guys who got off a bus with their AKs and started running off into the, into the, the city streets, right? So if the governor is going to declare a state of emergency and invoke emo emergency powers in his state because of 500 uh, illegal immigrants, then can you, can you, um, can you send me a link to that, Dave? Uh, Dave put a picture of the, Pop-Tart AR-15 on the uh, uh, Stress for Lunch page on Facebook. I think I'll show it to our, our uh, viewing audience here live and also on uh, YouTube so they can see what caused the uh, the lockdown here. There's about a, you know, so I think it's somewhere around, and I should really should time it. There's about an eight-second delay for the signal to get out there at the speed of light and then come back. Uh, the, uh, my audience is about four light seconds away from me. It's generally... Um, Broke college student is gaining points rapidly here. Uh, uh, he says, and isn't there a state of emergency for the massive murder rate in Chicago? I guess if the dead are poor blacks, then it doesn't matter. You know what? Um, broke college student, I need a vacation. I really do. I, I, I just really do. And and I'm going to get in touch with you and see if you want to sit in and, uh, and host, the, host the shows. Because that's as good as it gets in terms of that response. It's absolutely note perfect. So here, uh, for those of you at home who are wondering about what caused uh, the amygdala response of, uh, of certain liberal uh, high school teachers, or elementary school teachers, rather, to call the SWAT team, uh, it's, uh, it was this. Whoops, sorry. That's not what I meant to do. I meant to do. I should have given you all a warning. I, you know what? I feel really bad now. I feel bad. Uh, many of you out there are undoubtedly triggered, and I, and I should have. You know what I'll do? For those of you who are watching live, there's no way I can protect you from this image, and I deeply apologize for that for the, from the bottom of my heart, and I mean that sincerely. But on this particular YouTube episode, when we upload it to YouTube, we will put a, a, a warning contains graphic content on there so that so that people don't have to go through the emotional uh, trauma of, of looking at this deadly weapon uh, and uh, and there's sometimes just limits to what you can make fun of before you realize yeah, better just shut up and let it make fun of itself. Excellent point there from Japano 499 No frosting, sacrilege. I don't know what state that was, but I'd be willing to bet you it was a liberal state. If there's no frosting on the Pop-Tarts, that's the first sign. 
that's the first sign that you know you're really heading for the, for the weeds. All right, let's take a look at some more questions here, why don't we? Oh, there's another pic of uh, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, my God. It's a picture of Queen Elizabeth in uh, Paddington. It says, don't be frightened, ma'am. The world will be holding your hand. Actually, it should be, don't be frightened, Paddington. Uh, everything will be okay because she doesn't need any help in the courage department. Uh, that, we did a video, I did a video specifically, a right angle on the Queen Elizabeth's 70th Jubilee, uh, where she's sitting at dinner having tea with Paddington, and it humanized Elizabeth in a way that I had not seen during my entire life just you know six months before she died uh, okay topic hunter biden movie stop the presses robert dobby is making a movie about the hunter biden laptop story starring lawrence fox and gina carano and right before the midterms no less below is a link to the trailer which you might want to share with the rest of the class let's see if we can make this go viral uh, i will copy it and put it in the chat and I'll try to remember to put it on YouTube, but it is mysonhunter.com, which is actually pretty um, pretty easy to remember. So uh, for those of you who are watching live, give me a second. It's a coming, it's a coming, it's a coming. And uh, here you go. It is there. Well, this is a perfect opportunity. I don't plant these questions, and I, I maybe I, you think I could have written this last one. But, however... At this point now, it's 14 years after the fact, so I suppose it's it's okay to declassify uh, this information. I watched the first debate between Barack Obama and John McCain in Robert Davi's living room, and he had a silver-handled cane, and he was swinging it at so close to his giant rear projection TV that I thought for sure he was going to smash it. When we came out of that, uh, Jeremy Boring and I were, were talking in the car on the, on the way out, and I said, um, I don't remember which one of us said it. He says, that was memorable. It was. That's, that, was, that was the Robert Davi experience. And one of us said, that would be a hell of a name for a band, and it would be. Um, Robert Davi uh, is, a, is a very fine actor. And, and he has got the face of a villain, and he's got, the, he's got the kind of personality of one, too. There's a lot of Robert Davi in Robert Davi. Don't misunderstand this. I love the man. I absolutely adore him. I, I just cannot say enough good things about him. He's always been nothing but kind to me, uh, and, and I have the highest respect for him. Uh, but he does have a kind of a, you know kind of a personality of like a like a mountain chieftain from Uzbekistan or something like that you know he's got uh, he's got a you know he's got that got that gravitas anybody who can say I I I I, I am I wouldn't say I'm friends with but certainly we saw each other in a supermarket he'd come up and say hi I don't know if I would but he would uh, with a bond villain that's really that's a whole level of, of fame uh, that I managed to achieve. Uh, and somebody mentioned what I was going to say about Robert Davi is uh, he had, um, for in the time when I was getting to see a lot more of him, um, uh, he was promoting 
a, a record album of his. And it was, I think it was Davi Singh Sinatra. And I thought, okay, yeah. I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure it's okay. I'm sure it's good. In fact, I'm sure it's, it's good. And then I listened to it. It's not good at all. It's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. He is a terrific singer. Really, I think he's, I really put him in um, Michael Buble category. I mean, he's, he's like in this triumvirate of guys who can actually do that that kind of thing. And, and as I said, there's a lot of Robert Dobby in Robert Dobby, and Robert Dobby has that Rat Pack kind of feel, you know? That kind of, he, ro there's something about Robert Dobby, when you watch him, you realize that this is what the Rat Pack had, what, what, um, what Sinatra had, and Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis, and uh, I can never remember the name of the British guy, and Joey Bishop kind of hanging around the, the border. And that is that this world is ours, belongs to us, we're just allowing the rest of you to live here, you know, just stay out of our way. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyway, he is making a movie called uh, My Son Hunter. I don't know if um, it's certainly not going to get wide theatrical release, uh, but um, it will get something. Now, now I'm going to start a flame war here, the likes of which we've never seen in the Stratosphere Lounge before, ever. This is going to split the community right down the middle, I have no doubt whatsoever, but I must speak the truth when I see it. Dave Big Booty, when I was talking about the Rat Pack, Dave Big Booty said, and Don Rickles. And I maintain that Don Rickles is not a member of the Rat Pack at all. Never has been. Lawson, Peter Lawson. Lawford. Peter Lawford, yes. I maintain, and I will go to the grave, convinced that Don Rickles was not a member of the Rat Pack. That If the Rat Pack had had Don Rickles in it, it wouldn't be the Rat Pack anymore. It would be the Hockey Puck Pack. Uh, now, Rickles knew these people really well, and they all knew Rickles. And I'm going to tell this story, even though most of you have to have heard this before. I don't care. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. I have never met Don Rickles. I did see him once when I was a when I was a limo driver. I saw him at a baggage claim for TWA, and I swear to God, I think he said, uh, I think he said to his wife. Come on, you hockey puck. I think you said something like that. Really demeaning. Um, well, thanks for killing the joke, uh, 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 Dave. I'm going to say it anyway. For those of you watching on YouTube who may not be up on current events, this is what the culture used to be. Now, Ronald Reagan was not a member of the Rat Pack. No, 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 no. He's much too good for that. Ronald Reagan was way too square, way too, way too Boy Scouty to be a member of the Rat Pack. Outside a restaurant I go to occasionally here in L.A., there's a full-size picture of the Rat Pack, and they got those thin ties and those thin lapels, and they're just a little bit unfastened. They're not, they're not like precociously unfastened. Like, look at me, you know. They just, they're just taking a, you know, you may have to, you may have to, you know, belt out a song ever. But this true story. So Don Rickles um, had been, uh, had, had gotten his start, and this is before he became really famous as Don Rickles. But uh, he, I don't know if he'd ever opened for Frank Sinatra. But Sinatra had seen him and liked him and told him he liked him. So this is early in Rickles' career, early, real early. And, and Frank Sinatra's at, at absolute peak of his glory. So Don Rickles is having dinner in, um, in a New York restaurant, high-skilled high New York restaurant. And in walks Frank Sinatra with his entourage. And Frank goes over there and sits down. So Don gets up and walks over to Frank and he says, hey Frank, it's Don Rickles. And, and Frank's, Frank's not just says, Don, good to see you. How you been? Frank, I've been great. I've been great. Uh, but um, 
you know, I'm embarrassed to ask you this because I don't know you very well, and, and you're here with your family and your friends, but I, I have to do it anyway. The people back at my table are such enormous fans of yours. They, they just worship the ground you walk on, and it would mean the world to me, the world to me, if when you're finished at your leisure, if you could come over and just say hi, it would make their entire lives complete, and it would do an awful lot for, for my personal reputation. Don, don't think anything about it. Of course, I'm happy to do it. So Don goes back to his table, continues eating. Time goes by. Sinatra magnanimously gets up, saunters over to Rickles' table, leans in and says, hi, everybody. And, and Don Rickles turns to him and says, hey, Frank, can't you see I'm eating here? That is balls. And that's, by the way, that's how you get celebrities to like you. That's how you get celebrities to... Uh, to respect you is if you can, you can, if you have the nerve to tease a celebrity, you're in great shape. Doesn't always work. Sometimes backfires a little bit. I remember one time I went up, uh, you know, Gary Sinise uh, and his Lieutenant Dan, Dan, Lieutenant Dan Ban. And one time I was feeling saucy, and we were at some event, and I walked up to Gary Sinise and said, "Hey, Gary, you know what they call the guy?" who hangs around with the musicians uh, after the band is finished playing? He says, no, what? He says, the bass player. And uh, he didn't find that funny at all. Because uh, he's the bass player. Anyway, that's that. Moving on. Joe R. Never fear. I maintain the Democrats will get an ass kicking in November. Polls are getting better for us as things around the country are getting much worse. This is what I think will happen in November. Republicans win the House by 40 to 50 seats. Best case scenario, we win by 60. Worst case scenario, we win by 30 to 40. I predict we'll win the Senate realistically by three seats. I predict we'll pick up senators in Alaska, Georgia, and Nevada. Best case scenario, we win by four seats if we pick up Pennsylvania. Worst case scenario, we win by only one seat. This guy knows what he's talking about, this Joe R. I predict one sweep most local elections, and we will win most I predict we will sweep most local elections and we will win most of the governor's races. I predict Kerry Lake wins in Arizona and Doug Mastriano wins in Pennsylvania. Lee Zeldin only trains Kathy Hochul in New York by only four points, so it's possibility for an upset victory for the Republicans. Stacey Abrams will lose in Georgia and Kemp will win re-election. Don't let me forget about Georgia. DeSantis wins re-election by a landslide victory, winning over 60% of the vote, only 60%. I'm amazed that there could be 40% of Flitterians that, that that's stupid. California's a lost cause, I'm afraid, but I think we may pick up an extra house seat or two. There, yes, California becomes less possible. More people flee, the less politically powerful we become. I say let Gavin Newsom maintain his policies, and, and if he does, in another 10 years, California will have three electoral votes. And I'll be probably responsible for one of them. I'll be my own congressional district. What do you think of this prediction? Ignoring the fake polls and ignoring any betting pools, which I also believe are not reliable, what does Bill Whittle honestly think will happen in November? God bless Joe Roth Jr. Joe, I think the situation is looking much better than I did last week because of the fact that you have laid out such a compelling case. Uh, that is a well-informed uh, question. And you are naming names and and I, I mean this sincerely without the slightest bit of, of uh, insincerity or flippancy. I, I, I bow to your superior kung fu. Uh, I hope you're right about the betting pools. I have noticed they've turned around. I, I 
do put a lot of faith in those, but that's not the actual voting thing, and I guess we're going to find out soon enough. But um, I think the House is, is safely can be assumed, if for no other reason than that's historically what happens, and certainly it doesn't seem like Biden is so popular as to reverse this historical trend of the of the party that party that won the presidency then loses the house the next year so i think we get that and if we get that that's the limit to what damage they can do and we immediately start uh, impeachment proceedings which then can be voted down by the senate or maybe not who knows who knows wouldn't it be delightful i've had this thought but never quite so clearly as this think about this think about this oh i just got a i got a i just felt a tingle go down my leg and I'm not even Chris Matthews. Think about this. If we win that, we're going to win the House. And if we, if we take the Senate, then it is likely that Joe Biden will be the first impeached president in history. The first. They say Donald Trump's been impeached twice. He's not been impeached twice. Impeachment is the act of removing him from office. He... They were, they were, there was a motion to impeach him, but he was not actually impeached. And uh, neither was uh, Nixon, because Nixon uh, resigned. Bill Clinton was not impeached. He was charged. by the, So the House makes the charge, and the Senate makes the vote, and uh, convicted. And, um, and not even Andrew Johnson was, in, was impeached, although he came down to one vote, I think, tiebreaker or something. Uh, so, um, uh, my understanding has not been impeached. My understanding is that the impeachment is the act of removal. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe impeachment is... Uh, in any event, in any event, the House impeaches and the Senate convicts. Okay, I'm wrong. Fair enough. Uh, although I've been lectured about that. Uh, but one thing I am certain of is no president has ever been forcibly removed from office, and I think the, the prime candidate for this is going to be Joe Biden. And if, okay, I'm wrong. Impeachment is the act of being charged and brought to trial. So he was impeached, so there've been, so Johnson was impeached, Nixon never got to that point, Clinton was impeached, and Trump was impeached twice. I'm missing anybody? No, I don't think so. So, none of them have ever been removed from office. This is our chance, uh, Republicans. If we get out there, if we really get out there, we have a chance to do something historic to be on the right side of history. We can be uh, the party. You know, sometimes, sometimes I just want to smack myself in the, in the just, just give myself a good sock in the jaw. Sometimes there are things that are so obvious that I simply don't see them. Now, all of this Mar-a-Lago stuff and, and all of this Trump is a criminal stuff, now I begin to understand the emotional driver for it. I could understand the political advantage for it, but now I really begin to understand it. It is possible and perhaps even likely that Joe Biden could be the first president to be impeached. Do, what, do we, what do you need to, to convict? Is it 60-40 or is it 51 66. We need two. It's a two-third majority. Now yeah, we won't get that. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll just impeach him then, and I think we should impeach him 
semi-annually. I almost said biannually, but semi-annually. Eh, eh. You know what? Let's do it bimonthly. Okay, 67 votes, and we're not going to get that. Although, who knows? Who knows? In any event, we get to put the asterisks right there, and, um, and that'll be fun. Uh, so, anyway, there you go. Daily. Let's do it daily. They're the ones who made it a joke. So, okay, let's go. Uh, look at that. Oh, it's 8 o'clock. Um, so, I'm going to see how many questions are left, because I'm, 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 I'm de-steaming here. One, two... Okay. We got. Uh, let's see. One of these questions from Cody Fett is about how uh, demoralized it was last week, and Cody, I hope I've covered that to, to the degree that I can uh, not go over this uh, this question again, and. Um, and your support and everybody else's support, all of it, you know. I get it all the time. It's never, I never run out of support from you fine people. It just comes times when I'm, you know, it just, it's a saturation issue. It's just that simple. It's just saturation. This little beaker of fluid cannot absorb any more of this stuff. It is saturated, and, and that's where I was. I was just, I just had all I could take. And since then, I've, uh, you know, added a little uh, phenophthalene to the, uh, to the uh, pineapple juice and uh, feeling better. But thank you for saying so. Um, so I've got a, a workout uh, 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 recommendation from um, Martin Archer here, which I will read as soon as we're done. And I'm grateful for that as well. Uh, I think I can get them all. Dave Wilson, hey Bill, if I could twist your arm for a moment to talk about astronomy, consider my arm yours. The side-by-side -side pictures from the Hubble and Webb telescopes are startling. Webb demonstrates that there are a lot more stars in the heavens than have been dreamt of in our philosophy. Now that we know that there are more stars in the universe and therefore more mass, will this be the first of many nails in the coffin on the theory of dark matter? Uh, I don't mean to split hairs with you, Dave, you especially, but I don't think that, I don't think that the Hubble has revealed that there's more stars in the universe than we thought. It has simply shown them to us. Uh, we've known for my entire life that the vast majority of stars in the galaxy are uh, M-type stars or red dwarfs. And because they're red dwarfs, they are not luminous enough to be seen from Earth. In fact, I'm trying to think if there are any of the top, they can't be, I'm almost, no. I know the names of a lot of stars, and if I had an awful lot of time and, and was prodded with electrical stimulation, I might be able to do all 88 constellations, although I have to admit that would be a challenge. But certainly none of the bright named stars with actual Arabic names like Rigel or, or Rigel, uh, Regulus, any Polaris, any of that stuff. None of them are red dwarf stars because the red dwarfs are so so faint to see. The reason that the that the 
Starfield seems to come alive in, in the Webb telescope pictures as opposed to the Hubble telescopes is because Webb is looking in the near infrared. So it's able to see the heat that those uh, red stars emit, but not the light because they don't emit a lot of light. Most of their radiation is in the infrared. So when you look at a Webb image compared to a Hubble image, it's not that we can see more stars because of the resolution of the Webb. We knew they were there. We know what the, you can see them with the telescope. They're just not very bright. So we knew they were there. and We had a good idea of what the, what the ratios in the population were. And I don't think that's changed at all. But I will tell you, I am 100% um, uh, with you on the fact that looking at the galaxies, this is a fascinating point actually, looking at the galaxy in near infrared shows you a much more accurate picture of what the Milky Way looks like than in the visible spectrum. Because most of the stars, I mean, when I say most, I mean, I don't know what the number is, it's in excess of 90%, I'm pretty sure, are M-type uh, red dwarfs. And, um, and they are uh, puny weaklings. They're worthless and weak. They do nothing. They are nothing. They sit around all day, radiating out that sick, pathetic infrared. What are you going to do with your billions of years of lives, you worthless and weak uh, red stars? Wouldn't be a problem, by the way, um, since they don't radiate as much heat. That just means that the habitable zone is closer to the star and it's also smaller. It's narrower. And, uh, okay, Justin, hang on one second. I, I, thank you. Um, but the problem is, is that with the, with the M-type stars, the red dwarfs, the habitable zone, they're so, they're so relatively uh, cool compared to our sun, the orbit of, of a planet around an M-star to be close enough to be room temperature means it's also close enough to be pretty much sterilized by the constant flares that red stars tend to give off. I suspect that's because they don't have as much mass as our star, so our star is probably able to keep most of this stuff in the coronal loops. But M-stars are, M -stars are just putting out flares all the time. And, and the problem is, is that if you're going to be warm enough next to an M-type star, you've got to be close to it. Now, those, uh, those flares don't uh, move at the speed of light. The plasma doesn't. The light moves at the speed of light, which shouldn't surprise you. So, technically, you could inhabit uh, a planet around a red star, and with a simple, real simple radio warning. I mean, we have those here on Earth. We get a, if we realize a solar flare is coming our way, I don't remember what the exact time is. I want to say it's like two, three days, something like that. If there's a coronal mass ejection heading for the Earth, I think we have, we see it immediately. We see it at the speed of light, so eight minutes later, we see it. But the actual plasma doesn't arrive, I want to say, for two, three days. So, you know, if you want to, if you got the means to get to a red star and colonize it, you could just have yourself a little tornado shelter up back. And uh, when the when your when your cell phone beeps, it's like get in there and stay there for a while. Um, Dave Big Booty says, or did the web just take the picture, same picture at nighttime? Yeah, that's it. They 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 went at nighttime, uh, and they got no rings either. Yeah. Pathetic, puny little 
liberal solar systems, these weak, tiny, pathetic, sad, wretched little dwarf, atrophied millions and millions and millions of them. We don't need no stinking rings. Eric Blake wins that one. Uh, let's see, is that it? Uh, so Martin Archer has a question about deep fake and politics. Um, that's definitely something to worry about. I think, Martin, if you can bring that back, um, we'll, we'll try that on, on uh, the Stratosphere Studio show on Monday. Because I've been talking about deep fake a lot on that show, and, um, and I have not yet gotten into the politics of it. However, I do have a new video to show on Monday night. Uh, there is now, since, since we spoke of it last, uh, and Justin, I, I, I have read your, um, your uh, very kind, kind remarks, and uh, I, am, uh, I am giving them very serious consideration, and regardless of the course, uh, your, your support and your encouragement means the world to me, and, and I'm deadly serious about that. Thank you very much. I'm not going to read it out loud, but I have read it, and I will read it again. Um, It's very, 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 very nice. Thank you. Very sweet. And I think, by golly. Oh, there's another one. Did I, did I get that one? Yes. So one, the only one I can get is from Elon, uh, sorry, Ian Noland, or Noland, Noland, I suspect. Bill, just a suggestion for the upcoming Daily Wire stuff, either at the beginning or the end of the episode where they, quote, brought to you by the Daily Wire, you should also make sure you get a BillWhittle.com stinger. Also, for a libertarian conservative take on the next generation education, look up Teachers Pay Teachers. It's not the whole solution, but it seems like it's definitely part of it. I will take a look at that, and uh, maybe that'll be something for us to talk about next time. Um, as far as the Daily Wire stuff goes, uh, I will do my best. Uh, I am going to be, uh, as always, negotiating against what may be the keenest business mind uh, on planet Earth without question, the keenest mind in this business. And in this regard, it's a little bit like a baby chick going into an orca and, and listing his demands, but sometimes you get lucky, you never know. I will definitely keep that in mind. Um, all right. Did you see the note about member questions for Monday? I did not. Was that... Um, I had said on a Monday that we wouldn't do member questions for the Stratosphere Studio in the BillWhittle.com comment section, and I have uh, reversed my uh, decision on that on, on appeal. Uh, I don't know where else to put them. So, um, yes, we'll, if we can create a category, uh, I will go to BillWhittle.com for questions on Monday night, and I know I'm way behind on getting content out there about that. I'm just juggling balls as fast as I can here, and and... and Believe me, it's something I think about every hour, pretty much. All right, she's already made a thread for it. I, uh, I am proceeded. Um, I'm going to talk about this on Monday night too. I just mentioned it to you now. Um, how do we see Studio Live? It's going to be on Twitch, and if I can get it done uh, tomorrow, Bart, I'm going to try and get it set up so that we're streaming to Twitch and YouTube at the same time. It's supposed to be pretty simple, but it's not for some reason. It's probably because I'm working on it. Um, so you can always count on seeing live shows here on Twitch. We will always maintain this presence because I don't want people to come looking for us and not find us. So in a, in a happy world, we'll stream to YouTube and Twitch at the same time. And in the near future after that, once I get two down and do it without falling off my chair, 
um, then uh, then I will um, try to stream it on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook simultaneously. Imagine that. Uh, and thank you for that, GK. I may take you up on that. Let me see if I can do it tomorrow or the weekend, but I think I could probably get to it tomorrow. I've got the air conditioners, so you know I'm ready to go. Will the Gorn sit down uh, for an interview? He might dish on the Daleks. I know it's time for me to go, Edward Smith, but that question is interesting, and I, and, and I should and I don't want to give away something. I just don't think I, I couldn't think of a way to pull it off. So I'll I'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler for something that's not going to happen. I had the thought a couple days ago that what I should do is on every episode live of the Stratosphere Lounge and the uh, Stratosphere Studios, I should move the Gorn about two or three inches closer to me. Not so much that it's noticeable from one to another, but just enough so much so that there's some sense of general unease, you know, just a general sense of unease. And the closer it gets to the camera, the less I would move it. And every single episode, he'd be getting just a little bit closer, just a little bit closer. I think, you know what, actually, I think that's such an epic idea and such a great in-joke. I think that I will, um, I'll have to find a way to uh, remount that fantastically authentic looking uh, lizard there with the uh, diamond eyes but uh, yeah that'd be fun all right so um that does it thank you as always for the kind words of support uh and uh and thanks for your patience as always uh and as you probably know by now uh this show is made possible by the members at billwhittle.com who uh, keep the lights on here who pay for shows that other people watch if you're one of those people who's watching and other people are paying for them you should be thanking the members as well. Um, I am going to, on Monday, I, was, I just skipped over this. I'm going to make this a, a button button. When I showed the animation of that spaceship last time on Monday night, I was trying to find textures in 3D Studio. I've been working in 3D Studio since 1992. Since 3D Studio 2, I bought a pirated copy. I think it cost some ph phenomenal amount of money. Seven, eight hundred dollars came on like 28 floppy disks. 3D Studio version 2, I've been using 3D Studio ever since then. When Blender first appeared, Blender was a joke. 3D Studio was the gold standard, and Blender was a joke. And I've been trying to texture this thing in 3D Studio, because I know 3D Studio, and I can't do it. And you have to buy separate renderers, and you have to, and you have to find, and, and the different materials work for different, for different renderers, and Arnold will do this, and, and Red Dwarf will do that, and or Red Giant or whatever, and, 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 and you know, uh, V-Ray and all of it. And I said to myself, you know what, I should, now that I'm going to be doing some more 3D model work, I should probably pick up uh, Blender. I said, no, 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 don't waste any time with that, man. You know, you, you know 3D Studio, do it in 3D Studio. I can't do it in 3D Studio. So I'm, I'm going to be working with Blender. And just before I came in here, I saw a 20-minute tutorial on Blender. And my God, is Blender unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I'm just watching this guy. Well, it's because Blender is free. I suspect it's open. Well, I don't know if it's open source. Certainly, you can contribute to it. So, uh, and I saw the donut tutorial, and I'm, I may or may not do it. But here's the nice thing about this: uh, I am working now on uh, in in video. I'm working now with Premiere Pro, and I think Premiere Pro is probably the fifth or sixth soft editing software that I've used. I know I used. Uh, Avid, I know I've used Division, I know I've used um, Media 100, was it called? Um, I've used five or six. 
whenever you go to a new piece of software, there's some uh, inefficiencies at first, but basically the good news is you don't have to learn how to do everything again. You just got to learn uh, the new ways of doing it. So, um, so uh, I just, just in this 20-minute tutorial, it's like, oh, that's how you move the, the object around. Oh, fantastic. Um, real engine. That sounds cool. I'll take a look at it. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> David Booty says, I played Hunt, Hunt the Wumpus off of an 8-inch floppy disk. And I got to tell you, Dave, that sentence is not something that anybody should have ever admitted out loud. There's something that sounds arrestably wrong with saying, I played Hunt the Wumpus off an 8-inch floppy disk. That's a... You don't want to be there, brother. It's not a bad place to be. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, to close this uh, Goat Rodeo um, uh, as usual. Thanks again to the members for making it possible. We'll see you here on Monday night. And, um, and I will uh, do my best to um, do some more uh, decompression. But I'm feeling much, much better, uh, thanks to my friends uh, and all of you as well. So. And I'm not promising it's not going to happen again. I'm just hoping it's not going to happen again tomorrow. Uh, so until then, we will see you uh, next week. And thanks for joining us. And there's some interesting comments here, so I'm going to answer those. And those of you watching on YouTube, uh, you're missing the fun. We'll see you live next Thursday, and we'll see you live for Stratosphere Studios on Monday.